Welcome to Voices of the Valleys, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you today by Nova Home, helping growers grow with heart and soil. Find out more at novihum.com. Now, here's your Voices of the Valleys host, Director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, Dennis Donahue. Good morning, this is Dennis Donahue, and welcome uh, to another edition of uh, Voices of the Valleys, uh, brought to you by uh, Novahome, who uh, helps growers grow with heart and soil. And uh, I'm joined uh, this morning by John Scarden, who's the uh, CEO and founder of uh, Tailwater Systems. John, welcome. Well, thank you. It's good to be here, Dennis. And always always uh, good to be with you. And, you know, I, I, uh, I, w- I want to mention uh, uh, before... Uh, we get started in our conversation, and what you're doing with Tailwater, I think, is is particularly important and timely right now. But uh, you know, our audience should know you're also a, a professor of entrepreneurship. Uh, you've uh, you've done that at a couple of uh, lo- local universities, and uh, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. You were so good at it, you decided to teach, or you enjoyed teaching it so much, you said, "I got to give it, I got to give it a try myself." How did you get into the entrepreneurial game, and what came first? Teaching or uh, practicing? No, I was always a practitioner. Uh, when I first went into high tech many decades ago, I immediately ended up in advanced product development, which is sort of a big company version of entrepreneurship. And so I really took a liking to developing new technologies and commercially new products that we used to call new to the world technologies and products. So I did that my entire career. And then uh, I ended up going back and getting my PhD and studying entrepreneurship as a solution to what are known as common pool resource problems, water pollution, air pollution, that sort of thing. And so that led me into this current problem with the nitrate in the groundwater and the surface water. And when I looked at what was being proposed as an entrepreneur, I said, I, I understood it as an academic and from uh, all my economics teaching, but I said, wait a minute. We can solve this problem. What they're, what they're doing is wrong. <laughs> well, and, and this was pre-Sigma, right? When you were, I mean, you knew there was a concern and a lot of attention That's on, correct. on yeah. uh, so this is before the, the game, uh, the stakes got heightened and, right. uh, and, you know, we're, and as we speak today, we're shifting to uh, implementation of what is now our, our, a requirement through, throughout the state. So this, right. this issue of nitrates is, is particularly important. So, so talk about uh, the marketplace as you encountered it, and what led you to say, "Wait a minute, there's there's a different way and a better way to do this." And and then, sure. and then, how does that feed into where we are today? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So, when I started looking at this problem, the way it was described to me by the academic community was not the way an engineer would describe a problem. Uh, it was described more in terms of soil bacteria and lots of things that might be more common, let's say, in a soil science class or a horticultural class. Nobody talked in terms of chemical engineering, which is what my background is. So when I w- looked at what they had were trying to do, uh, I immediately said, you know, why are you doing this? Why would you use a wood chip bioreactor? This is probably the worst possible way I can think of to myself how to do this. 
Because nobody in chemical engineering does a horizontal reactor. If you know, if, if you really can want to get good mixing, right? That's why you go you go vertically. So I said, well, that's crazy. So I, I couldn't get a good answer from any of the academic community on why you were doing this, other than, well, wood chips are cheap and expensive. And I said, no, they're not. Okay, they're not that cheap. And so anyway, one thing led to another. I decided I was going to go do a implement a very compact version of what is already an existing utility scale practice for denitrification. So not all wastewater treatment plants do this, but a lot of them do. Once the water leaves the, the nitrification process to get rid of the ammonia, they have to go through a, a secondary process of getting rid of the nitrate. And so these are multi-million gallon a day systems made out of giant concrete and all that stuff. And so I looked at it, I said, well, that's the way the big boys do it. I wonder if we could make something that would fit in a farmer's corner of a lot, not take up any growing area without sacrificing the performance. Because that would allow the farmer to actually pick up and move our system. And since the water, we didn't want to use anything heavy in there because if we use something extremely dense like sand, then we wouldn't be able to move it. It would be just like really difficult. So we borrowed this, uh, this technology from the public utilities. We built a, a prototype that did maybe two or three gallons a minute, got our denitrification coefficient, and we were astounded. On a system you know, that was that small, we were getting about 90% of the rate that they were getting at the utility scale. So then we built a larger one, and we got almost the same denitrification rate. And we built a third one, and at the same rate. And so we said, okay, I think this is, this is telling us something. So uh, Anyway, so that's how we kind of combined what we thought was not working with something that we knew was working, but on a really huge scale. And the, real, the engineering question was, if we downscale it, do you still get the same performance, or does the performance go away? Well, I'm, a, you know, I'm speaking as a bit of a layman, so yeah. when I hear denitrification, obviously that's a good thing. Right, a you know, and certainly, desire you know, very desirable in the current regulatory environment. Right, um, but one of the things I, I often hear is you know the the nitrate you know it can take years to, to to deal with the nitrate problem just for how long it's been. So does denitrification uh, accelerate that or what? What's the what's yeah? The so the when people say it's going to take decades to fix the nitrogen problem, they're using very old data. They're using data that has been generated by the academic community, not by high-performance denitrification systems. Okay? So, for, so what, what does that mean? So a wood chip bioreactor will consume, will remove about 30 grams of nitrate per cubic meter of wood chip area per day. And as you can imagine, there's a ton load of nitrate in a lot of this water. And that's really, so that, what that means is that those wood chip bioreactors to take out a lot of nitrate would have to be the size of multiple football fields. And no one's going to do that. So to give you an example of why the current thinking is so wrong, our system is roughly 50 to 80 times 
faster than a wood chip bioreactor at removing nitrate. And 50x. So, and so, and so, and you've you're far enough down the road in terms of uh, uh, prototypes, pilot projects. You you have a, a good faith, a good good sense of that. Are you at a right. implement? implementation stage now you're ready to take orders? Yeah, we're scaling now we're already scaling our systems up uh, to uh, more than 200 to 500 gallons a minute uh, we kind of top out at around 800 gallons a minute because at that point the size of the system it's kind of a trade-off between we use uh, verticals basically water storage tanks as bioreactors and at that point they to go beyond about 800 gallons a minute, you really probably should do something in concrete, reinforced concrete. You so, in, enter Sigma regulations, uh, right. and you know the uh, the compliance becomes more specific right. uh, and immediate. Uh, how do you fit into all that? Okay, well, a couple of ways. Number one is we have to stop the nitrate from leaving the farm. And so the water has to be intercepted before it gets into the river or the lake or the ocean. And so with, the, with this process called denitrification, okay, the, the way the process works is that you get the rate at which nitrate is removed is dramatically higher at high concentrations. You know, like, it, but if you have like 13 parts per million and huge water flow and you need to get it down to nine, that's a different kind of a problem. Around here, we see nitrate coming off of ag fields in the order of 150 parts per million, which is 15 times the federal limit. Okay. So what we're thinking is, is that number one is you can put our bioreactors right at the edge of the field or at where there's a, a, a sump pump, which is you know pumping out the tile drain water into a public conveyance like a ditch. That's one place. The second place that you can put this more for the gra existing groundwater problem is that if you have a capped well, because let's say it's been capped by the county or the state because the nitrate levels are too high and you can't use it. So what we can do is we can put our, one of our reactors on that well. You just turn the pump on, pump the water up, pumps through our system, we remove the nitrate, okay, then you can use that water for, for drinking water or anything else. And then as the water, even if it goes back into your leach field or into your septic system, it's going, it's been denitrified, right? And so you're gonna, by pumping and treating, you're essentially gonna be able to kind of clean up that aquifer. Who, who else uh, besides the ag community uh, would be uh, in, interested in, in your your work, I, I know uh, um, you know municipalities are dealing with stormwater runoff. Sure. Uh, uh, who, what other? Uh, okay, so any uh, around here, it might be more the landowner, maybe legally responsible. It, I don't know because the growers often lease property rather than you know own the property that they farm. So if a landowner has got a large piece of land and the wells are all contaminated with nitrate, he or she's going to have a real hard time selling that property if they're going to want to put, uh, let's say, houses or development on it if they don't have city water. So a landowner that has contaminated wells, and there's a lot of those, there's 
I think somewhere less than a thousand in California. They just stopped using them because they're so contaminated. So landowners. Number two is people that, uh, or these would be organizations that own the public conveyance, like the reclamation ditch in the Salinas area, or some of the other uh, areas that have these long, big, long drainage ditches that eventually end up going into one of our two small rivers here. They're a potential candidate because why? Because they've got the water stored, usually, um, let's say Esposito, not Esposito Lake, but around here there are these uh, there are these areas where the where the county has built a uh, a lift station, and behind the lift station is a pretty good sized pool of water contaminated. They lift the water up with a pump so they can get it up to the to the ditch, and the ditch will carry it out eventually to the ocean. That's not owned by a farmer, that's owned by the county. So the county is a good customer because once they've trapped the water there in a kind of um, makeshift pool or whatever, small pond, it's very easy to denitrify that water. You just put the bioreactor next to it and then it'll denitrify the water as fast as you want to go. So that's another customer. Uh, third customer, if you have uh, any kind of situation where you have storm water leaving the property and it is containing nitrate, maybe who knows where it actually came from. You can intercept the storm water and just pump it and treat it. And the only thing you would have to do is create a storage vessel that provides about two to four hours worth of flow in a storage tank. In other words, you pump the storm water into the storage tank, allow it to be in there maybe four hours worth, and then we, we pump out of the storage tank to generate kind of a constant flow, right? Is, um, is your approach, uh, uh, there's never any one-size-fits-all, but, you know, the Central Coast versus the Central Valley versus uh, Imperial Valley, are there, are there um, some production areas that are going to be uh, better suited for what you're trying to do or just across the board? Yes. Uh, well, yes and no. The areas that are not real suitable for us, probably, or anybody else, are these open ditches. Uh, you see these up on the, the, the hills near Watsonville or near just east of uh, Chular or Gonzales. What happens is those growers up on those hills, a lot of them don't use good sediment control practices. So when, they're, when the runoff from the irrigation leaves their property, it comes on down the hill, flows through probably two or three other farms, picking up all this clay and whatnot. And when that thing comes into the public conveyance, it is loaded with sediment. And so getting rid of the sediment's not difficult, but it requires a lot of building and a lot of construction work, and nobody wants to do that. So that's not the best location. But if you go a little bit further downstream, when that, when that water's had a chance to settle, then all that clay and sediment usually drops out. And that's why the farmers out there on the 101 will tell you that when they, they have these sediment, they have these ponds, it's every year in, in March, they go in there with a backhoe and dig out all the, all the clay, and then it fills up with clay and sediment all during the growing season. And then when they finally drain it at the end of the season, they look in there and the, it's like five feet of five feet of clay in there. They dig it out and they do it over. So that's fine. Okay. But that would be the place to put the bioreactor once the sediment and the clay had a chance to, uh, to drop out. Um, 
What else uh, do you, and just kind of bringing things to a, to a close, there was mm-hmm. the opportunity you saw, uh, the stakes get uh, a little higher with SGMA. Right. Um, in terms of water, where what's next and where do you see, see, op- see opportunities? Okay, so the other area is in drinking water. And... So the state of California has got a very acute problem, and as far as I know it, predominantly along the central coast and in the central valley. And all the shallow aquifers that we have are now, most of them, I think, are contaminated with nitrate at a level where the, you can't drink the water legally. So the way the regulations work is that these, the, the county board of health and the regional uh, regulators, if you will, will not allow you to use put in a reverse osmosis system to get rid of the nitrate. Because what will happen is, is they'll they'll pump the water up, the water will go through the reverse osmosis system, but then the RO system is going to reject about half of that water, but the nitrate concentration is going to be twice as high. And there is nowhere, no place to send that RO concentrate. You cannot, you won't get a permit to discharge it back on the land. This, right. is, this is probably a very, very simplistic way mm-hmm. of asking the question. And ob- obviously we've uh, had the benefit uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a rainy winter. Sure. But this issue of, uh, um, you know, nitrates in water, uh, you know, contaminated water in wells. Mm-hmm. If, if you just kind of look at that as a static number or concept... And then you apply your technology, and you get mm-hmm. that cleaned up. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, uh, this is overly simplistic, but I think it makes this, the same point. What percentage of supply do you gain or regain um, if you if you clean up wells? Okay, uh, so this is, this is why it's so critical for Sigma, the uh, Sustainable Rainwater Management Act. And for Central California, especially the Central Valley, this is why it's so critical, because right now growers are having to go to very, very deep areas out in the Central Valley to find nitrate-free water, uh, especially for, for any reason. So, if but we don't want to use that water. That's kind of like our strategic petroleum reserve for water, right? Not, right, you know, right, right? We don't want to use that because once that's gone, we're done. There is no more surface water to bring into California. Okay, so if we can go in and use this technology to denitrify the shallow aquifers, which recharge much faster, right, because they're closer to the surface, okay, then we can turn on all these wells and we can start slowly cleaning the nitrate that's accumulated in those shallow aquifers over the last 30 or 40 years. That's, that's what, essentially what will happen. And so that has immediate implications because the only alternative to what I'm describing is to contract with pipeline companies and well drillers to put to spend millions of dollars per mile running water mains from, and there, where's the water coming from? It's from some new incredibly deep well, right? And then pushing this water out to all these remote communities. So the opportunity cost there is just ginormous compared to a, a very simple technique right. that can denitrify the water and then you can use all your off-the-shelf 
purification equipment to make it drinking water compatible. Well, the, the last question I, I, uh, I have for you is, you know, the growing community often feels like it's the, uh, it's the designated actor to solve the entire water issue and you can't, you right. can't help but uh, kind of cock an eyebrow mm-hmm. when, you, when you hear the stories after a winter like we've had, uh, you know, the uh, X thousands or millions of gallons of, of water that just wasn't captured in LA or, yep. or San Francisco or wh- mm-hmm. whatever big, big cities. And, um, is your technology a potential tool as uh, urban areas get uh, more thoughtful and committed to uh, creating meaningful, uh, um, you know, real, really kind of capturing their runoff and creating some supply and recirculating? I know LA is starting to have conversations about doing mm-hmm. that. Is is well, tailwater sure. systems uh, a absolutely in that process? If, if it's a nitrate problem, we have the the most affordable way of removing nitrate. And I'll, I just want to come back to the affordability issue. So, yes, we, could, we can take the nitrate out, which dramatically simplifies uh, taking the water to drinking water standard. The problem is nitrate is highly soluble in water. It's very difficult to get out. And biology is the only way to reduce nitrate. With reverse osmosis or ion exchange, all you do is it doesn't do anything to the nitrate. It just separates it from water. We actually convert the nitrate over to nitrogen gas and carbon dioxide and release it. So it goes back into the atmosphere where it belongs. Okay? Okay. So, yes, we can, we can help if it, it, anything involved with recycling. So we have a facility down in Santa Barbara County where this greenhouse operator wanted to not release any water. They wanted to be a zero-discharge facility because they were right close to the ocean. And they felt that if they were zero discharge, it could dramatically enhance their ability to raise venture capital to be more successful in the marketplace. So we designed a system and put it in place that allows them to be zero discharge. And the heart of that system is our denitrification process, which nobody else has. Well, okay. it, it, it certainly sounds like uh, you're, you're, you're going to be busy for the next few years. Well, we hope, we hope so, but there's, there's, there's more good news. And I just want to kind of share one more thought with your, sure. with your listeners. So just recently, we've been talking to various customer, potential customers out in the Central Valley, and most recently at the meeting about the Agricultural Waiver Order 4.0 here in Salinas. Right. And what we told the audience briefly as we could was that in our, in, with biological denitrification the way we do it, the dominant running costs, their O&M costs, operating and maintenance costs, is the cost of external carbon. Uh, we don't get a lot of carbon uh, from the runoff, so we have to add carbon. And that's the, that's the operating cost. But even with that cost, our system is the, most, is the least cost method anywhere in the world for denitrifying water, without exception. And so the question that we asked ourselves was, well, okay, how do we drive the carbon cost to zero? Which basically means that nobody would have any excuse for not denitrifying their water. Make it, make it no cost. And so one of the things that we teach students is we talk about this idea there's no such thing as waste. 
I was trained by the Japanese in all sorts of Six Sigma and all the TQM stuff. So I, this is part of my DNA now. Right. So we looked at it and said, well, wait a minute. We know people out in the Central Valley who are paying big bucks to discharge this really high-strength organic waste. Breweries do this. Uh, dairies do it. Uh, tomato processors, you name it. Okay. So they're paying to have this organic waste treated by somebody or somehow. So what we realized was that a lot of that wastewater can be used without modification as the carbon source for our bioreactor. Okay, so what's better in the Turlock area, the, the generators of this high strength organic waste, they're less than 10, 25 miles or five miles away from these really badly contaminated water wells that have been turned off. So we said, well, dude, it's not that hard. <laughs> So the idea is that if, if, we t if, they, if the people who are generating this waste stream will pay you as the denitrification system owner to take some of their wastewater, now you're getting the external carbon at basically a net zero cost. So the generator of the organic waste, their cost of operation goes down. Because they're not going to pay you what they're right. paying for the wastewater treatment plant to take this. Right. Well, they pay you about half of that. Okay, their, their costs go down. They have less volume, which means their overall expense goes down. You move this, whatever it is, you know, a few thousand gallons a month, 10 miles over to your facility, and just pump it through our system and allow the bacteria to chew it up. And so your cost of operating the bioreactor is essentially net zero. Well, I, I think uh, a real solution uh, meet, meeting uh, enhanced regulatory uh, right. uh, at pressure. Zero, at zero at, cost, at zero cost. not so bad. Yeah, not so bad. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, th I think we're going to need to have a follow-up interview and uh, right. see, how, you know, I, it kind of reminds me of the story of a professor in college who used to give us the answers you know, going back to your mm -hmm. your uh, your teaching, right. he said, "You know, I like I like to give the uh, questions and answers ahead of time. I find I find my students do better, but, <laughs> but they still don't necessarily get them all right. But yeah, that's a frustrating part of teaching. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you sound like you've given them the uh, the questions and the answers. It, it'll be interesting to check back and see if everybody gets it all right. Right, and so this is this is kind of our message that we want to." get out to the state of California is, is that the, there is a, a much more effective, very high rate denitrification process that is affordable for everybody and anybody. And it doesn't require any exotic technology. Okay, it does require mastery of a lot of different skills, which is what we've been doing for the past five years. But nothing that you can't implement. If we can put these on the side of a dirt road where there's no electricity, hardly, you know, no other kind of infrastructure and have them work beautifully. We can put them just about anywhere. Well, we appreciate you uh, sharing that message for, uh, uh, for our statewide audience and, uh, and we'll look forward to uh, seeing how things uh, progress along. I mean, you know, getting, getting solutions right now has never, never been more critical in this area. Right. So thanks for... Uh, and we want people to come see us and you can learn more about us at www.tailwatersystems.com. Dot com. Terrific. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Dennis. Always good to visit with you. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valleys podcast, brought to you today by Nova Home, helping growers grow with heart and soil. Find out more at novihum.com. You can listen to this and other episodes of Voices of the Valleys anytime by subscribing to the podcast. Just search Voices of the Valleys in your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been Voices of the Valleys.